Good morning, church. You know, uh, every week I tell you, it's just so good to be with you. And it's true, it's good to be with you. Today feels especially good to be with you. Because last week I was with your kids. Yeah, some of you are like, oh, my kids are so good. No, some of them aren't. I can tell you firsthand, I've had experience now. No, it was uh, last week I got to go fill in downstairs, which uh, if you don't know, years ago I was a children's pastor, so it was kind of, it was nice to go down there and, and hang out with your kids for the week. I did enjoy it quite a bit. Um, I don't want to go back to that uh, position ever again, but it was good being with your kids for sure. Uh, if you guys are a guest here today, my name is Dan, I'm the lead pastor here. Um, uh, thank you for joining us for sure. Uh, I thought I left all of this snow and garbage in Alaska, but thanks for bringing that back too. Um, that's really great. Love the snow. Just kidding. I think Rick, Rick, where did he leave? Oh, cool. I can talk about him. Yeah. You guys are going to be a hard crowd, aren't you? Like seriously, the first, the first, first service, you know, it took a little bit of going, then everybody got into it. Lily, you into it? Thank you. I'm going to just position myself this way to the young adults. Good. Hey, we are in a series in Revelation, and uh, today we're going to be in chapter 6 and 7, uh, a little bit in chapter 7. So if you have your Bibles, go ahead and turn there. If not, we will have the text on the screen as we go. Um, just a couple things I want to talk about, though. This is, uh, uh, today is kind of the first sermon where it's going to be evident um, some theological positions that I hold. So if, I, I don't want to assume everybody knows all of, all of these terms that I'm going to be throwing around, so I want to just kind of briefly discuss them. So uh, we're talking about Revelation, and in, in so doing, we're talking about something called eschatology, which is the study of end times. Uh, I've said this now multiple times, and I'm going to continue to say it. Uh, we don't necessarily all have to agree on how things are going to play out specifically. Where we need to agree is that Jesus is going to return. We don't know when that's going to be, and we better be ready. We need to be living our lives in such a way that uh, when Jesus returns, we don't have to hide our heads in shame. Uh, these are the things that we need to agree on. Some of the way things will play out, we can have some disagreements on. Uh, I, I, there's this uh, panel that happened with John Piper, a notable conservative theologian, and some others uh, on, on, on this topic of premillennialism versus amillennialism. Don't freak out. I'm going to give you um, a brief understanding of that as well. But at the end of this, where they kind of had this a disagreement, they all left believing what they believed coming in, and they all left as friends. So my request for you is, if you don't agree with me today, can we leave as friends as well? Um, um, or my email is pastorisaiah at Berean family. <laughs> yeah, so it's actually, it's a really, it's a fun topic. It's exciting because it is, we're talking about things that are going to happen. And it's exciting to me to think about this, this return of Jesus. Um, and we're looking forward to that day, as we should be looking forward to that day. As every generation since Christ ascended into heaven should be and should have been looking forward to that day. So back to some of these terms here. Uh, amillennial, or premillennialism, I'll start with that. This is, this is what I ascribe to, okay? Um, and, and it's going to become very apparent as I preach this text today. It's a belief that, uh, that um, after a period of tribulation, Jesus will be here physically on earth and reign for a thousand years, uh, at which point at the conclusion of the thousand years, Satan will be loosed and judged one final time. Uh, a millennialist would believe that there is no such 1,000-year reign, that Jesus will return, and that's when the final judgment will take place, okay? That's the sh very short version of a couple of different views. Uh, and as I said uh, kind of earlier on um, in this series, there are people 
that uh, believe both of those views probably in this room right now. Uh, so we should be able, though, to leave as friends because, again, the application remains the same. Uh, whether there's a thousand-year reign physically here on earth um, or if, 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 if there's not, Jesus is going to return. We don't know when it's going to be, and we better be ready. That still becomes the application of how we live our lives, how do we uh, adjust ourselves and our living from this text. So again, with that all in mind, we are going to be in Revelation chapter 6, and I'm going to start off by reading verses 1 through 8. And we get to talk about the four horsemen of the apocalypse. Sounds like science fiction stuff, right? Uh, I, I, had, uh, I had put this series together with, with uh, one sermon particularly in mind that I couldn't wait to preach, and that was what Phil got last week. Um, so uh, we, we had to push back the start of this series because I had COVID, and um, so I'm very jealous of Phil for getting the text that he had last week. Um, he was supposed to get this one, but here we are. God, thank you for this day. Thank you for your providence. Thank you for being a good God. God, we thank you for this revelation that you gave John while he was imprisoned on the Isle of Patmos, that we can look at this today, looking forward to your return. God, may your spirit speak in and through me today. If it's just my words, God, they are powerless and they won't bring about change in our lives. God, I pray that it is your words that I speak today, that it is empowered by your Holy Spirit and as such that we will take a step closer to you uh, and we thank you for it. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, Revelation chapter 6. We start with these seals. Last week we learned who is worthy to open these seals and that is the Lamb of God. Chapter 6, starting in verse 1, going through verse 8. Now I watched when the Lamb opened one of the seven seals, and I heard one of the four living creatures say, with a voice like thunder, come. And I looked, and behold, a white horse, and its rider had a bow, and a crown was given to him, and he came out conquering and to conquer. When he opened the second seal, I heard the second living creature say, come. And out came another horse, bright red. Its rider was permitted to take peace from the earth, so that people should slay one another. And he was given a great sword. When he opened the third seal, I heard the third living creature say, Come. And I looked, and behold, a black horse. And its rider had a pair of scales in his hand. And I heard what seemed to be a voice in the midst of the four living creatures saying, A quart of wheat for a denarii, and three quarts of barley for a denarii, and do not harm the oil and wine. When he opened the fourth seal, I heard the voice and fourth living creature say, Come. And I looked, and behold, a pale horse, and its rider's name was Death, and Hades followed him. And they were given authority over a fourth of the earth to kill with sword and with famine and with pestilence and by wild beasts of the earth. So we, here we are in, in a pretty grisly scene, Right? Um, it's my belief that this is the beginning of a seven-year tribulation period that these seals are open and these things that are about to take place take place uh, we see we hear for the first time in this text about this four horsemen of the apocalypse we got a picture kind of a rendering of them up here um, obviously this is some sort of artist's uh, uh, thought this isn't the real four horsemen if you were wondering I, I, you guys are gonna have to help me man thank you Kelly's been in Alaska for like uh, almost a week and she doesn't get back to the end of the week i'm trying to survive so a little bit of help goes a long way that'd be great so on the on the far right of this screen we have kind of closest to us this white horse now i want you to notice what's in the hands of the rider we have the bow and he has it pulled back and there's an arrow getting ready to fly 
Uh, the problem with this particular rendering is that there is no arrow discussed in Revelation. It just says that the rider has a bow. Uh, and I want to talk about that a little bit um, as we are looking into this story. So we're going to look right to the, to the white horse to start. Who is the rider of the white horse? So uh, in another place, we find out that Jesus will come riding a white horse, symbolic of peace that he's going to bring uh, with him. And because of that, there are some groups like the Puritans who would believe that this is referring also to Jesus. I don't think that that's true at all based on the, the context of this text. I believe what we have here riding this first white horse is the imposter, the Antichrist. Uh, and riding a white horse, again, symbolic of peace, carrying with him a bow, but not carrying with him an arrow. Uh, Dr. Dr. David Jeremiah calls this rider the dark prince on a white horse. Again, carries a bow, no mention of an arrow, which indicates that he will come to power without bloodshed. Uh, it's believed that he will deceive and unify the world without a shot fired. Uh, by the way, I used to think that, so that I'm going to teach you another term before we move on, this tribulation period of time, there are those who believe in a pre-tribulation rapture of the church, right? Left Behind movies, right? Kirk Cameron, you guys all know. Um, some of you who are my age, maybe. Uh, but anyways, believing that God is going to rapture the believers out of this world before these seals are open and before this seven-year tribulation begins. So that would be pre-tribulation, pre-millennial. And then you have the post-tribulation, pre-millennial. Post-tribulation, that's fun to say, right? Post-tribulation, pre-millennial. That sounds very uh, academic. Post-tribulation, pre-millennial would believe that the church will remain throughout the seven-year time period of tribulation uh, prior to the millennial reign of Christ. And then there's a third category that probably has a little bit less of a following, and that would be a mid-trib, believing that first three and a half years of this tribulation period will be marked by peace, then really all the bad stuff happens. And at that three and a half year mark, that God will rapture the church um, from heaven, or I'm sorry, from earth to heaven. You guys tracking? All right. So here we are with the white horse, the imposter riding in, bringing peace and unification in this world without bloodshed. Now, I, I would have argued before that, that the pre-tribulation rapture of the church is critical because of the imposter is going to fool basically the, 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 the entire population of the world or majority of the population of this world and bring about this false sense of peace uh, without any bloodshed. Over the last couple of years, I've come to realize I don't know that it's going to be that hard for the enemy to fool the earth. I just don't. So I don't know that that's critical any longer. I think even, unfortunately, with the church being here, I think the enemy, the Antichrist, could potentially fool the majority, if not the entire world. So we have this white horse coming in, ridden by the Antichrist, bringing about peace and unification in the world, um, something that seems so great, and it's going to be a, a short period of time that's going to be marked with peace in this world. All right, now we have from the white horse, we moving on, we're moving on to the red horse. This rider interrupts the peace that initiated the tribulation period and brings war with him. Uh, a, kind of a quick note here, I don't think there's going to be actually four, four riders on horses riding through the clouds. I think they are symbolic of what's going to take place during this period of time, okay? This rider again interrupts peace, initiated the tribulation period and brings war with him. This, the turning point that leads to war could be when the Antichrist breaks a covenant that is made on the front end of this with Israel. Uh, we get that idea from Daniel chapter 9, verses 26 and 27. I'm going to grab a drink here if you want to turn. 
Don't you love it when a preacher's like, turn your Bible to Daniel chapter, and then just starts reading immediately, and you're like, why did you even tell me that? Why did I bother? I'm going to do that now. Daniel 9, 26 and 27, and after the 62 weeks, an anointed one shall be cut off and shall have nothing. And the people of the prince who is to come shall destroy the city and the sanctuary. Its end shall come with a flood, and to the end there shall be war. Desolations are decreed. And he shall make a strong covenant with many for one week. And for half of the week he shall put an end to sacrifice and offering. And on the wing of abominations shall come one who makes desolate, until the decreed end is poured out on the desolator. So we have this week, this kind of symbolic language of a week that Daniel uses. This is one of the places where people get the idea that the week, uh, seven days or seven years, will be the length of the tribulation period. And he talks about halfway through. Again, you can kind of get to the idea for those who ascribe uh, to like a mid-trib rapture of the church there. Again, I, 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 I hold to a pre-tribulation of the, of the uh, rapture of the church. Uh, I guess you could say I'm hoping for a pre-tribulation rapture of the church, but I'm planning for a post, right? If I'm wrong and we raptured, then great. We're not here. We get, we, we're not here, so that's, it is what it is. So White Horse comes in, brings this false sense of peace and unification within the world. Red Horse comes in, bringing war with this Red Horse. And now death and destruction really start to come quickly. And followed by the red horse is the black horse. This rider brings with him a great famine into the world uh, after what is likely to be the worst, most widespread, devastating war that this world has ever seen that the red horse is going to be bringing in. Uh, so you think about World War I, World War II, like child's play compared to what this war is likely to be like. After surviving the war, so those who survived the war, this terrible world war, after surviving the war, those left will be fighting to survive in a terrible famine. Uh, don't know this is just speculation, but that there are some that believe that this war will include uh, a nuclear uh, weapons being used, which would explain a famine uh, following a war, as it could destroy and uh, contaminate agriculture all over the world. It's hard to say, that's just speculation, but it is a, it is a thought that is out there. Um, what is clear, though, is that there's going to be great suffering. It's going to be significant suffering. The, the text says the following, after its rider had a pair of scales in his hand, and I heard what seemed to be a voice in the midst of the four living creatures saying a quart of wheat for a denarii and three quarts of barley for a denarii and do not harm the oil and the wine. So what's happening here is uh, they're, they're explaining basically how much food is going to cost. Uh, denarii would have been a day's wage. So this amount of food would be enough just basically to keep one person alive for a day. And it would cost a, a, a day's wage for somebody to purchase. So imagine if you're a, a family of four, you have just enough money to buy food for one person a day. That's what we're talking about here. So it's going to be an incredibly bad a war followed by an incredibly bad uh, famine. And then after all, when everybody thinks it can't get any worse, enter the pale horse. This rider is bringing with him death. On the connection of the four horses uh, that are kind of combined in this text, uh, the destruction that they bring, uh, Metzger writes this, a theologian, he writes, we have here all the appalling aftermath of war, famine, pestilence, and the final devastation when wild animals overrun what was in, once inhabited or, uh, uh, by people. This, this world after these four horsemen will be completely different than what we know now. 
Uh, there, there will be much death. There will be much suffering. There will be much agony. And that is for sure. But moving now from this, these four horsemen here and what's going on during, on earth during this tribulation period, we move into verses 9 through 11 and the fifth seal. And we move from what's going on on earth to what's going to be going on in heaven. So verses 9 and 11 in chapter 6. When he opened the fifth seal, I saw under the altar the souls of those who had been slain for the word of God and for the witness they had borne. They cried out with a loud voice, O sovereign Lord, holy and true, how long before you will judge and avenge our blood on those who dwell on the earth? Then they were each given a white robe and told to rest a little longer until the number of their fellow servants and their brothers should be complete, who were to be killed as they themselves had been killed. Now the text doesn't tell us. What we have here clearly are some martyrs. Uh, we don't know. The text doesn't say. Are these martyrs just from the tribulation period, from these four horsemen? Uh, or are these the collection of all of the martyrs who have lived um, within, within the last 2,000 years and until this happens? We don't know that. Um, but what we do know is that there are martyrs who are in heaven pleading with God to end the suffering and to get revenge. Uh, evil has now been loosed on earth. There is death. There is suffering. Uh, the Bible tells us in this text that, uh, earlier in our text, that a quarter of the world's population will pa perish during this time. That is a significantly large number. Uh, imagine one of every four person, people you know perishing. Uh, so, so you have these martyrs going, God, please, when is this going to end? Uh, when are you going to come back and, and rid the world of evil and all of this death? Uh, well, again, what we do know in this plea, uh, the destruction and death of their fellow Christians is not yet complete. God basically says, no, it's not time. It's not time yet. There's going to be more. Again, this is going to be an incredibly hard time to be alive in this world. Very difficult. Very difficult. The sixth seal now has us moving from heaven back into earth. And we're just going to keep kind of cruising along, if you would. So the sixth seal has us moving back from heaven uh, to earth, where there are going to be even more death and destruction with natural disasters move in and uh, continue the destruction. Uh, by the way, it talks about earthquakes. And as an Alaskan, uh, that hits a little close to home. We, we uh, one time, uh, the last couple of years we lived in Alaska, we had a 7.2 earthquake that the epicenter was about 10 miles from my house. Um, that house, we had a log house, it shook so bad, like, I couldn't even tell you, the boys were still in bed, um, I'm yelling at them to come down, I don't think I needed to do that because they were being thrown from their bed, they run down the stairs, I'm not sure they even touched a st stair on the way down, we tried to get outside and you could like see the ground moving, it was the creepiest thing I've ever seen in my life, um, creepiest thing I've ever seen in my life, anyways, that's just a side story for terrible earthquakes, Kelly had one, she's in Alaska right now, they had an earthquake last night. So she's like, it's time to come home immediately. All right, so we are in Revelation 6, 12 through 17 now. When he opened the sixth seal, I looked and behold, there was a great earthquake and the sun became black as sackcloth and the full moon became like blood. And the stars of the sky fell to the earth as the fig tree sheds its winter fruit when shaken by a gale. The sky vanished like a scroll that is being rolled up and every mountain and island was removed from its place. Then the kings of the earth and the great ones 
and the generals and the rich and the powerful, and everyone, slave and free, hid themselves in the caves and among the rocks of the mountains, calling to the mountains and rocks, fall on us and hide us from the face of him who is seated on the throne from the wrath of the Lamb. For the great day of their wrath has come, and who can stand? So again, after all of this death, after all of this destruction, there's been a famine, there's been wars. Now we have these great, uh, uh, terrible, natural, we'll call them, events. So the earthquakes and things. and To the point where people are like, just to the mountains, fall on us. This is enough. We can't do this anymore. But even with this, as we go from chapter 6 and these first six seals, and, and we'll come to chapter 7 next week, I'm sorry, to uh, the seventh seal next week. But with these first six seals and all the difficult times, all of the judgment that is being handed out on earth, there is something that is very evident through this text. And it's something that's evident throughout the entirety of the Scriptures, the entirety of the Word of God. And that is the amazing grace of God. That even in judgment there is grace that we're about to see and discuss. You know, if you read through the Bible, it's something that you cannot miss is the grace of God. Read all the way back through the Old Testament, right? The cycles of the Jews and what was going on, uh, you know, the repentance and the, and the returning to the Lord a generation later, then, then their sin again and all that. We read through it and we get a little bit tired of reading it because it's like, come on guys, get it right already. But if we're honest, those cycles exist in our lives, don't they? Where it's like, man, we're, we're two steps forward, one step back. Remember that sermon uh, uh, maybe a couple months ago? It's these cycles that continually exist. But through it out, throughout all of it, we see God has a plan for redemption. And it's, it's full of his grace. And I want us to make sure we understand and catch this a little bit today. If you're a follower of Jesus Christ and you have been for you know, a day or, 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 or 60 years or whatever the case may be, I really hope that you can just take a moment and just realize God's grace in your life. Because God's grace is incredible. You know, even when God's correcting us, it's through grace. We don't, we don't deserve to have a relationship with the Lord. We, we don't deserve to have had our sins blotted out because of His sacrifice. That's God's amazing grace for us. Which is completely evident in Jesus, the Lamb of God. But we move from all of this destruction and this judgment to where we can see even in that time there is grace. Look at Revelation 7, verses 1-4. through After this I saw four angels standing in the four corners of the earth, holding back the four winds of the earth, that no wind might blow on the earth or sea or against any tree. Then I saw another angel ascending from the rising of the sun, with the seal of the living God. And he called with a loud voice to the four angels who had been given power to harm earth and sea, saying, Do not harm the earth or the sea or the trees until we have sealed the servants of our God on their foreheads. And I heard the number of the sealed, 144,000 sealed from every tribe of the sons of Israel. And the next few verses list the 12 tribes of Israel and how 12,000 people will be saved as a remnant um, for that time uh, now there are some who believe that this is talking about a spiritual israel it's something called a replacement theology believing that the church has kind of come in and fulfilled god's promise to abraham i personally don't believe that to be true i think there's a there's a distinction here and we're going to talk about that just for a moment um, i believe that he's talking about literal revival that happens with the jews 
a literal revival during this time of tribulation where 144,000 Jews will come to a saving uh, uh, faith in Jesus Christ. And they will experience His grace. So even in the midst of a terrible, terrible time, I believe that there are going to be a number of people who come to Christ and experience His grace for the first time. Uh, John Wolver, when it talks about the 12 tribes here, he writes the following, The fact that the 12 tribes of Israel are singled out for a special reference in the tribulation time is another evidence that the term Israel, as used in the Bible, is invariably a reference to the descendant of, descendants of Jacob who was first given the name Israel. Again, I don't think this 144,000 is symbolic of all of the people who are going to come to Christ, regardless of, um, uh, of, of where they're from. I believe this is specifically talking about 12,000 Jews from each of the 12 tribes of Israel. It's hard to understand why those 12 tribes would be singled out and 12,000 from each tribe would be there otherwise. Um, so his grace for Israel. During this time of tribulation, there is grace for tri Israel. But there's also grace for the Gentiles. As we continue to read in 7 uh, verse 9. After this I looked, and behold, a great multitude that no one could number, from every nation, from all tribes, and peoples, and languages, and standing before the throne, and before the Lamb, excuse me, clothed in white robes and palm branches in their hands. So now we have from each of the four corners of this world, we'll call them Gentiles, you have Jews, and then everybody else, right? So we have these 144,000 Jews who come to Christ during the tribulation, now we're moving on for grace for the Gentiles. These, these people from every corner of the, of the world wearing white robes, signifying that they had died a martyr's death. The fact that the group is brought up separately, again, of the 144,000, I believe, is further evidence that there is a literal remnant of Jews saved. But again, there are going to be Gentiles saved during this time as well. Even in the Great Tribulation, where God's wrath is poured out on the earth, there will be people who come to Christ. Even in judgment, there will be grace. And this is where I kind of want to land for our, our last just a couple of minutes this morning. It's, it's just to talk about the grace of God a little bit with you. It might seem strange that we move towards and talk about the grace of God when we're talking about a time of tribulation where there's going to be so much death and chaos in this world. But even in that time where the world is beginning to be judged by God, even at that time, there is grace. There is amazing grace. Amazing grace is only possible because of the Lamb of God. Talked about this last week. The Lamb of God, even that term signifies the sacrifice that God, that Jesus had made on our behalf. That He went to the cross to die on our behalf, to die for our sins, to pay for our sins. Our God is a perfect and holy God. And we are a sinful people without hope outside of Jesus Christ. Just like during this time of tribulation, which friends could start at any given time. We just don't know when that's going to be. But just like that time, there's grace possible for us today. My plea with you today would be don't wait. Don't wait. We all know people over these last two years who were talking to us one day and hooked up to a ventilator the next. We simply don't know when, when, our, when our days on earth will be over. We simply don't know. We simply don't know when Jesus is going to return. 
We need to stop living like there will be no end to this earthly life. If you've not yet put your faith and your hope in Jesus Christ, the Lamb of God, do it today. And if you have, and if you're walking with the Lord, I want you to remember and reflect on God's grace in your life, knowing everything about you, the hairs on your head, knowing every sin that you've committed, every thought that you've had, He still chose to love you. You know, you don't have hidden sins from God. Did you know that? There's no such thing as a hidden sin from God. He knows, yet He loves. It's God's grace. He has paid for those. I want to continue Revelation 7, verses 10-14. through 14. As we do, I'd invite the band to come back up. And crying out with a loud voice, Salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. And all the angels were standing around the throne and around the elders and the four living creatures and they fell on their faces before the throne and worshiped God saying, Amen. Blessing and glory and wisdom and thanksgiving and honor and power and might be to our God forever and ever. Amen. Then one of the elders addressed me saying, Who are these clothed in white robes and from where have they come? I said to him, Sir, you know. And he said to me, These are the ones coming out of the great tribulation. They have washed their robes and made them white in the blood of the Lamb. Friends, have you been made white from the blood of the Lamb? Have you been made white from the blood of the Lamb? God is real and so is His judgment, but so is His grace. And because you can hear my voice today, it is not too late for you. That won't be true forever. Make today, if you haven't done so already, the day where you put your faith and your hope in Jesus our Lord. Again, I can't tell you for sure whether the church will have been raptured prior to this great tribulation of which we speak. But here's what I can tell you. You don't want to wait to put your faith in the Lamb of God that takes away the sins of this world. He can save you today. Would you join me in prayer? Dear Heavenly Father, God, we just thank You for this day. We thank You for Your Word. God, we thank You. We thank You for Your amazing grace that is so evident just in the description of You, Jesus, as the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of this world, the sacrifice that was made on our behalf so that we don't have to be scared about things like a tribulation, that we can look with, with excitement towards the day that we are in your presence, not because of anything that we have done, not because of anything we could do, because of who you are and because of your grace for us. God, if there's anybody here who hasn't experienced that grace, God, I pray that right now, that to you, they confess their sins, that they believe on you for their salvation that you Jesus came to be the Lamb of God to die on behalf of our sins to rise again victorious over sin and death so that we might have life and God thank you for the truth that we as fallen people even those who have accepted you as our Lord and Savior that God, that you are making us into new creations, but God, you are holding our salvation and we are not. We thank you for that truth. We thank you for your grace 
In Jesus' name, amen.